God, we, we believe that our sister Kathy's having surgery right this moment. So, Lord, we pray for the power of Almighty God to usher into that operation room, Lord. Operating room, Lord, and we pray for the hand of God to be on that whole entire situation. Father, we pray that our sister would soon be here, touched by the hand of God, worshiping and giving you glory and praise and testifying how awesome our God is. Take care of her, Lord, while we minister in the word of Almighty God. Father, please, please stir this church to be that, a true church, in these last days, Lord. Lord, I believe that we have forgotten, forgotten the call of God, Lord, and it's obvious with our nation, morality, the situation that we find our country in. Please don't let that happen to New Hope. Please, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So how are you this morning? You awake? Very good. If you're here, that's good. If you're online, that's kind of good. But you should be here. Absolutely. Every joint supplies what the Bible tells us. Well, one of my favorite people that I've studied off and on for years, read many of his books, and, you know, just through the uh, um, ability to have YouTube, you can actually even see and hear some of these old-time people that... Um, I didn't really get to know while they were alive, and one being Leonard Ravenhill, which died in the mid to late 90s, so it wasn't that long ago. But he makes this statement, and it's just so true, and I, I wish that um, it would sink into you and just rock your little boat, because I just don't think we understand or you understand how important your role is. Uh, I, I always tell you, you're not here just to suck lemonade, swing on a hammock, and breathe air in 2023. You're here for a purpose, an absolute purpose. In one of his quotes, he always says, the greatest tragedy today is a sick, sick church in a dying country, in a dying world. You see, we are the antidote for this country. You and I are. And can you imagine having the antidote for whatever sickness you want to claim and not share it, not give it, refuse to pass it on to those who are sick and dying and just watch them die? You are the antidote. You are the light of what? The world. The absolute light. All right, so we're going to talk about mixing, because I believe mixing is what creeped into the American church and what has messed us up. You know, so, so anyway, there are some things that are common, everyday things you like to mix. I'm not a coffee drinker, but coffee and cream, coffee and sugar, you mix that stuff. Water and lemon, peanut butter and jelly. Some things you can mix, but, you know, they're not that common. Like some of you put ketchup on eggs. I'll never figure that out, but you can do that. And even worse than that, some of you will put pineapple on pizza. I can't believe that. And some of you, for some unknown reason, will put baked beans with hot dogs. Not bad, but you can mix that stuff, right? That's not evil. This stuff is okay. Some of you like them. Some of you don't. And then there are some things which you can never mix. You can absolutely never mix oil and water as much as you try. You just can't. Or how about gasoline and a match? They don't mix. How about light and darkness? How about the world and the church? 
They don't mix. They don't. Now look how strong of a word James uses in James 4.4, how Jesus addresses the church. He goes, you adulterers and adulteresses, know you not. In other words, you're supposed to know this. Us, American church, know you not that the friendship of the world, getting along with the world, courting the world, going steady with the world, is enmity. Enmity. That means it's a state of opposition to God. If that's the state you're in. You're in opposition to God this morning. If you're a friend of the world. <clears throat> Do you see that in your Bible? I didn't make that up. I didn't write that just now. It's in the Word of God. Enmity means a state of opposition with God. Now listen, listen. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Man, are you an enemy of God this morning? You see, I don't understand, or I don't think we understand the, how crucial this word is and how devastating sin is and how particular God is about it. We just kind of go along with the flow, it seems like, but it's not true. We're going to be shocked. We're going to be absolutely shocked. So I hope that you take this message and you start to examine yourself through the Word of God. Through the Word, because that's what we're going to look at. Let that statement sink in. You can be the enemy of God and in direct opposition of God this morning. <clears throat> James says it, tells us. How about Ephraim? Hosea 7.8. Ephraim is the second son of Joseph. Joseph, a pretty cool guy. Ephraim's name means double fruit, maybe double expectation, double blessing, maybe double anointing, maybe doubly used by God. Ephraim. You understand? You're born with a purpose. I don't think we understand that either. Names used to mean something back then. Now you're just like, eh, I don't know, Jennifer. How's that? Okay, Jennifer. Names meant something. You were handpicked by God for a purpose. So Ephraim means double fruit. One word later it says, he hath mixed himself. Mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Mixed himself with the things of the world. Now listen to this. I wonder what the percentage is that we, God's people, are actually doing what he created us for. I wonder what the percentage is. You might drive a truck. He didn't create you to drive a truck. You might be a doctor or someone who's operating right now in our sweet cat. He didn't create you just for that. I wonder what the percentage is, really, seriously, in our nation. In those who know God. What's the percentage that they're doing what God called them to do? So Ephraim, double fruit, hath mixed himself among the people. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Then it goes on, and because of that, it says, strangers have devoured his strength. And here's the sad part. And we don't know it. I'm trying this morning, the best I know how, to get you to understand that in case you don't know it. What I'm trying to say 
about us, the church, your purpose, your calling, your reason for being here, in case you don't know it. It says, yes, gray hairs are here, and there upon him, yet he knoweth not. The whole idea with this Ephraim is a cake unturned. It's the idea of a half-baked cake. You've mentioned this before. Maybe you can look at it as like a pancake, as that's how they used to make bread back then. So they're thinking they can serve both the Lord and idols. And Israel ends up being an unturned pancake, burnt on one side, uncooked on the other. Who wants that? Serve that up to the lost and dying world. You think they'd eat that and devour that and say, oh my gosh, I've been looking for this all my life. I've been wondering what my purpose is. Why I'm born. So you're going to give them a half-cooked cake. You say, this is the reason. And it says, strangers have devoured his strength. So that our nation is being so ravaged by sin, but they don't know it. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think that. It's the same with the church. Being ravaged by sin, but we don't know it because we just do what we want. Even though the word might dictate otherwise, we still go ahead and do what we want. Isn't it amazing the ability we have to deceive ourselves when we are in sin? When we are in sin, you can point out someone else's pretty fast, but it's really amazing when we fall into sin, how we can deceive ourselves. No wonder Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitfully above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. Considering how easily we deceive ourselves and how our sin can be apparent to everyone but me. It's true, it's true, and it's happening to the church. And because it's happened to the church, this is the cause, the church, this is the reason the church has lost its voice, power, and influence in our nation. Oh, absolutely. We've lost it. Remember Lot? We're talking about mixed life now. Mixed church, mixed Christians. Lot. God sent two messengers to warn Lot of the coming judgment. And Lot has this family. And he's supposed to be the father of all in this family. Right? So God sends two to warn Lot. And now Lot goes to his family. We see it in Genesis 19, 14. We can see the effects of mixing. And when Lot went out and spake unto his son-in-laws, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, <clears throat> for the Lord will destroy the city. But he seemed as one that mocked and joked. Now, how can that be? Think of the message he's given them. How can they think that that's a joke? Because the way he lived all the time before that message. That's what's happened. He was so mixed that they didn't believe him. The effect of Lot's life of compromise is clear, it's clearly seen when he speaks with the utmost seriousness to his sons-in-laws about the coming judgment of God. They didn't take him seriously. <laughs> Good one, Lot. Is it possible to have a saved soul in a wasted life? 
If so, I think Lot accomplished it. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says, Every man's work shall be made manifest. Every one of you and me. For, that, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. And if any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he'll receive his reward. 15 says, If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. So Lot possibly will be saved or is saved, but his life accomplishes nothing. What good is that then? If we accomplish nothing here, and it's because of the mixing with the world is what happened to Lot. It is. We'll see. 2 Peter 2.7 continues to talk about Lot. He's being delivered and says his soul was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Vexed. Vexed. You almost cannot go in and buy milk and eggs without hearing the F word. All over the place. Girls. Stunned. You'll laugh, but I don't mean it to be funny. I remember we were taking our daughter to those things that she was involved in when she was a junior and senior at Zanesville High School and a bunch of girls doing their whatever they call it, I can't remember, performing for something to win something. And we were involved being uh, mom and dad, and I think we were bringing pizza and napkins or something. They're all sitting on the floor, and they're belching like old truck drivers. At that point in time, I was stunned. You don't expect to hear that from girls. I didn't expect to hear that from girls. And now we are umpteen years later. You see how we're spinning out of control, being vexed, our very soul, conversation. I can't stand it. That's what happened to Lot. And when Lot was given the message of the hour, the most crucial message, his own family didn't hear his voice because he had mixed so much with the world. It goes on and says, For that righteous man dwelling among them, like you and I have to, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Vexed, tortured, lost his voice with his own family. Now you understand we are spiritual Jews grafted in the vine. We are. Jeremiah 7.30 tells us this. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, saith the Lord. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. They have set their abominations in my house, God says. Now look, we're talking about being mixed. Being mixed so much you forget what the true and real is. You forget what the pure looks like. What it should be. You've been mixed all your life. To me, the church has been mixed all my saved life, and I'll be saved 49 years this year. Mixed. I never, I don't think I ever really see it hit on all eight cylinders. The church. Like it should, like we're called to. Mixed. So it says, now the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. Now they're bringing this abomination junk 
into my house and they're polluting it. <clears throat> okay, now listen. Here, this, the, here's the point. We need our prayers answered. We can pray till we're blue in the face on Wednesday, but if, if we don't do what the Bible says, that's all we're going to do is be blue in the face. Holiness is a requirement for answered prayer. You understand? You cannot just do what you want. Say, oh, dear God, oh, God, God. You cannot just say what you want, dress what you want, go where you want, act like you want, and expect God to answer your prayers because you're doing something that sounds like praying. Uh-uh. Holiness is a requirement. Paul said this, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians eleven two 2 says, For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy. For I have espoused you or engaged you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste, pure, sweet, immaculate virgin to Christ. Untouched, unpolluted. That's what Paul's saying about us, the church, to Christ. You're married to Christ. I don't want my Ruthie all touched, polluted, manhandled by anybody. Just mine, to me, engaged, espoused, just mine, just me. And that's what the Lord is saying here through Paul. It means immaculate, pure. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8 in New Living says this. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. What he called holy in 1810, he calls holy now. Has nothing to do with the time and dispensation. Verse 8 says, New Living, Therefore, anyone who refuses, listen, to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God. But he'll answer our prayer, right? Where are the tremendous moves of God in the American church? Where, really, where are they? Could it be because we're out of step with God? Uh, you guys in the military, I don't know how many are you in the military, but man, they take a bunch of, we were called rainbows in the Air Force, rookies is what, and you'd be walking, trying to walk as a group of 50, and heads are bouncing out of order and all. And then they, after a couple weeks span, they have you stumping together. Every head's going together. Ha, hoof, hoof. We're all going that way. We're all going this way. One, one. You cannot reject God. You cannot reject His Word and expect God to do His part Amen. for you. You can't. You can't. We can't. Here at New Hope, I am so thankful for what's happening on Wednesday. I dragged Ruth back. I couldn't stand to miss another one. Yeah. 2 Peter 3, 10 says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. This is going to come. This is coming. This is a promise. 
might be in your lifetime. Sure looks like it. And there's going to be a great noise. And the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also in the works therein shall be burned up. Ohio State football is going to burn up. All this stuff. Verse 11 says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be? What manner kind of church should we be with this looming in the future? It's all right to have your, I don't know, what we got coming up now? The sweetheart banquet. It's okay. But that's not the purpose for New Hope. That's not our driven force. Listen, warriors, listen, listen to me. We will not have powerful, effective prayer until we get serious about living a holy life. And you know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about outward. You might need some outward adjustment. I'm not talking. Sanctified, pure heart, holy unto God. It's easy to take lipstick off or take certain colors off. God's Word teaches us that God does not normally answer the prayers of those who are not walking in holiness. Now there's grace and mercy and miracles and I'm talking about us who are called by God to be sitting right here on 40 in this day age in 2023. Listen to what the psalmist said. Listen to these. Listen. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord said, I'm not going to hear you. And who decides, who decides what's sin in your heart? You do? This does. Right? So God says, if I regard sin according to my word in your heart, I'm not here. I'm not listening. You do your part, I'll do mine. This is what's got to go together with our Wednesday night. This must. This must go together. Who knows what will start to happen. This must go together. Another scripture. You know they're there. Isaiah 59.2 says, But your iniquities, your sin, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. That's what's happened to God in America. The iniquities. They have come in. We've polluted the house of God where his name is supposed to be. God backs off. The power goes down. Our voice goes hoarse. And no influence. And here we are in 2023. Takes a while. Doesn't happen overnight. A lot of times you don't catch it. But man, you can see it now. The fruit has grown. It's ripe. and We are harvesting it. So the problem isn't with God's power, His knowledge, His interest. He is certainly interested in this, right? The problem is our iniquities. They have separated us from God. They have. And we need God to pinpoint so you can go, oh, oh okay, and get rid of it. Because every time you do, you'll draw closer to God and what? 
He'll draw closer to you. This is what's got to happen, new hope. Nehemiah 3.1. Then it says, Eliashib, the high priest, rose up with his brethren, the priests, and they builded the sheep gate, sanctified it, set up the doors of it, even unto the tower of Mia, they sanctified it, unto the tower of Hananel. So they're rebuilding that which has been broken down and then sanctifying it, making it holy, consecrating it only for the use of God. That's who you are. Okay? So, has anyone ever heard of Eliashib before? He's not one that rolls right off your tongue. Oh, Eliashib, yeah, the prophet. Oh, I know Eliashib. Well, Eliashib was a high priest, the first high priest that returned from the captive in Babylon. Okay, got it now? They were taken to captive in Babylon, Nehemiah, Eliashib. Eliashib's the first high priest that comes out of the captivity. So now you should have a little idea about Eliashib. No small guy. So Eliashib, the high priest, and other priests, we're told, were instrumental in repairing the broken down walls and burnt gates. Church was a mess back then. Just like now. That's what I'm saying. It's no small thing. So again, in Nehemiah 1.1, it says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah, it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the 20th year, as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked him concerning the Jews that had escaped, which was left of the captivity concerning Jerusalem. In other words, he was saying, How's the church doing? How's the brethren? How's the move of God? Is the church growing? He was wanting to know. And they said unto him, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in province are in great affliction and reproach. It's not going so hot. Not going so good. Walls of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. The church is falling apart. And it came to pass when I heard these words, this is Nehemiah, he said, I sat down and wept, wept, because it's the antidote. It's the cure. You're the cure. You're the light and the salt. Nehemiah, overwhelmed, weeps about the condition of the church. So Nehemiah wept and prayed that he might be able to go back. Because remember, he's in captivity. That he might be able to go back and to repair the walls. And Eliashib was part of that prayer being answered. He wasn't able to, but Eliashib, first high priest, went back and started the work. So that's where we get Elisha 3.1, or Nehemiah. 
Elisha, the high priest, rose up, his brethren, priests, sanctified it, set up the doors. It started. The work started. Sanctified means simply to set apart as sacred, consecrated, dedicated, to observe as holy. That's you. That's me. That's us. One Corinthians six nine again drives us home. Says, "Know you not the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? You're not. I don't care what you say, how many church services. You just don't do it the way God said. He's going to declare you unrighteous, and you shall not inherit the kingdom of God." So he goes on and says, "Don't be deceived. That's what we deceive ourselves. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters nor adulterers." He goes through this huge list. And verse 11 says, such were some of you, but you're supposed to be washed now. You and I are supposed to be washed. You are sanctified. You're like those doors and gate, which everything's going to go through. But you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That's what God is saying about us, the church, that we should be. Not only when you feel like it or when everything's going good, but all the time. Now look. Nehemiah 13.1 says, On the day they read in the book of Moses, in the audience of the people, and therein was found something. They went, I'll be darned, look at this. You ever do that when you're reading the Word of God? Look at this. It says that the Amorites and the Moabites should not come into the congregation of God forever. They went, Ooh, ooh, look at this. That's God telling them something, just like he tells you. They were not permitted because there was a time when God's people were about to be wiped out, and the Moabites and the Amorites were the only ones that could help them, and they refused to help them. God says, because of that, that's his judgment. Amorites and the Moabites should not come into the congregation of God forever. Because, here's why, because they met not the children of Israel with bread and with water, but hired Balaam against them that he should curse them. Remember that story? Hired the prophet to curse the people of God. When God had them there to help them, give them bread, give them water, they're famished, they're going to fall, they're going to faint, they're going to die. No way! Curse them! God says, because of that act, you're done. Okay, back to Elisha. Verse 4, Nehemiah 13. And before this, Elisha, the priest, having the oversight of the chamber of the house of our God. A big position. A high position in the house of God. Okay? He ends up becoming allied unto Tobiah. Ally means he becomes joined. Tobias, his buddy, his pal, in this high position that Elisha has. Now listen to this. Incidentally, Tobiah is an Amorite. One of the very mixed multitude that God said have nothing to do with them. And he said this to them about 10 years ago. And here's the high priest, or maybe for a better word, a pastor, Cozying up to an Amorite where God says, don't mix. Becoming his buddy and pal. When God says the word of God and this cannot mix. 
How many of us start out good? And here we see a high priest or a pastor becoming friends or allies with Tobiah, which is a type of the world. You've got to live in the world, but you better not cozy up. So let's see how far this relationship takes, goes with the pastor, or does that matter, the church. Now, this is going on way back then. Now, here are you and I now. This is what we got in America. Okay, verse 5. Here he goes. BMI says, And he had prepared for him a great chamber. He's preparing something for Tobiah. Wherefore, aforetime they laid the meat offering, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithes of the corn, the new wine, the oil, which is commanded to be given to the Levites and singers and porters and offerings of the priests. So this great chamber is filled with all these blessings and these good things. The wine, the type of the Holy Ghost, the water, all this stuff, the power of God, the pure word of God. That you can relate to by these symbols. The oil and wine are certainly symbolic for the true word of God and for the power of God and for the anointing of God. And Eliashib starts removing them from the house of God. Just like many churches are doing now. Pastors are doing it today. Removing the convicting word of God and moving in the way of the world. Tobiah! Word of God. And then here you and I come. Umpteen years later and says, this, is this church? Is this where the power and the glory is? Like, what, what's what? This can be changed by us. No one else does that. It can be changed by us. So oil is definitely a type of the Holy Ghost. John tells us in 16, Nevertheless, I tell you, the truth is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Spirit of God, God the Holy Ghost, he will come. He will reprove and convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. That's his job. The Holy Ghost. Elisha, the high priest, removes that. Nah, not here. Because he made friends with the world. And it even gets worse. It gets worse. He moves Tobiah in. Gives him a place. Hey, would you like to be worship leader? How about my assistant pastor? Well, we need some elders. You want to be a visitor? Visitation minister? Tobiah. Listen, listen, listen what Tobiah means. It, I told Teresa when I was putting this together, it's like I'm, I'm making up this story to make my point. But it's true. It's right here. He moves out the word of God, out goes the oil, out goes all these elements that have the power in the word of God. And he brings in Tobiah, which means pleasure, which, which means prosperity and wealth. How oh, you'll get rich. Just serve God. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So the anointing and the uncompromising word of God, out. Pressure, prosperity, and wealth in. And remember, God told them, 
Remember that Elisha was the high priest. The first high priest that returned. He started building and sanctifying and doing what's right. And then he starts to mix. With Tobiah. With pleasures and wealth of the world. When God says, no, don't ever go near that forever. So he was a contemporary of Nehemiah. We see that. So you might be thinking, where is Nehemiah? Well, he's back in captivity for that year and a half. He still hasn't been able to go back like like, uh, Elisha, Elisha did. He finally, or I think it was Xerxes, maybe finally releases him to go back. Nehemiah, to see the great work of God, to be involved in the church and the power of God and the glory where the people of God come together. This is going to be awesome. And he comes into the court probably ready to go. And he goes, what's this? What's, what's going on here? <clears throat> Well, Matthew tells us, but while men slept, the enemy comes, and he sows tares among the wheat and goes his way. That's what you and I were born again into, tared-filled church, run by Tobias and compromising pastors, and we call it church. So Nehemiah 13, 6 says, But in all this time was I not at Jerusalem, Nehemiah is saying, For in the two and thirtieth year of Xerxes, king of Babylon, came I unto the king, and after certain days obtained I leave of the king. King, please, will you let me? i got to go back. i got to be a part of this. I feel the calling and the stirring of God to do something, to be there, to stand side by side with my brothers and sisters and pray and get a hold of Xerxes finally says, okay, go ahead. So he goes back and he finds Eliashib with Tobiah in the house of God. Verse 7, and I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Eliashib did for Tobiah in preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. We have a place for you. We have a position for you in this place. And this is what we need to do today. Verse 8, and it grieved him sore, it says about Nehemiah, therefore I cast forth all the household stuff of Tobiah out of the chamber. This is what we got to do. Get this has no business in the house of God. Get it out. That's what Nehemiah did. <coughs> Threw them out, and he came back. Then I commanded and cleansed the chamber. Now clean it up. Get all this junk out of here. Clean it up. Sanctify it and make it holy unto God. For we need a move of God. We need the power of God to come back to the house of God. Clean it up. That's what Nehemiah was doing when he came back. Then I commanded and they cleansed the chambers. 
And thither brought I again the vessels of the house of God where the meat offering and the frankincense. And I perceived that the portions of the Levites had not been given them for the Levites and the singers that did the work were fled, everyone to his field. Everything was gone. And Nehemiah says, we're getting it back. We're going to build a church and we're going to do it right. We're going to build it upon the word of God. And if you're here to play, get out. That's what Nehemiah was saying. And he takes another step further. Then contended I with the rulers and said, Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gathered them together and set them in their place. We're not doing this again. We're not falling back. We're not mixing again. That's wrong. You need to know it. You need to cleanse the house of God. So that, listen, don't miss the mark. So that the power and the glory of God will return. Yes. Yes. Us, as 2023 American Christians, hundreds and thousands of years down the road, don't realize that we need the Spirit of God to come upon us and the Spirit of God to put His finger in your life, in my life. And I go, oh, okay. That's what we need. And that's when you say, okay, get out. And you start cleaning it. Your house. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us this, right? No, you're not. You're the temple. You're the house. You can't walk in sin and then walk in the presence of God and expect God to move. What do you think God does? Who was it? When Esther was called to see the king, she spent one year getting ready to go in and see the king. One year of preparation and soaking anointing oils, covering her stinking flesh to go in to see the king for a few minutes. We just go in however we do. However we live, what we say, how we want to. He says, no, you're not. You're the house. You're the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. It's in you. How about this one? 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. You can work with them and not be with them can work beside them, try to witness to them and not become them. You don't have to talk like them. Wherefore, come out from among them. Listen, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Come! Come, my child! God says, I'll receive. He does not want a polluted, adulterous wife with the stench of the world all over and going, I love you, wife. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want it. I wouldn't want it. So New Living tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. I was going to say, young dudes, listen up. It's all of us. It's all of us. It says, don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. 
That's what the word of God. You start hanging with the bad, you'll be like it. It'll corrupt your godly character. That's called mixing. You become just like the rest. Cake, half turn, useless. Come on to my house. We're going to have half-cooked pancakes. Oh, welcome. One John two fifteen tells us, "Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world." If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. It's not in you. All right. Here's the key. What time is it? Cool. Did it pretty good. Second Corinthians seven one. Here's the key to answered prayer. If you're coming Wednesday, it's totally awesome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you're not, try to, try to, try to, try to. Something's going on, it's beyond me. But here's the key. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh, listen, and spirit perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's what's got to be done at this altar call. That's what's got to be done in these lives that we live. God will wash you, clean you, scrub you, cleanse you, use whatever he can, the fragrance of new life in you, and then you got to go out and walk back into the world to make your living and you get messed up again, you got to come back and have God scrub you and clean you, the washing of the water, the word, your mind, so you can think right, act right, talk right. God says you got to clean yourself up. Filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Sometimes it's much easier to deal with the filthiness of the flesh than the filthiness of the spirit pretty much can pinpoint a drug addict or drunkard or a meth person or adulterous woman who's on the street. You can tell by outward someone who drank all their life. They just have this look that beat up. Their we can see that stuff on the flesh. So it's easier sometimes to deal with the filthiness of the flesh than of the spirit. During Jesus' early ministries, those who were stained I mean, wasn't it obvious by the filthiness of the flesh, such as the harlots and the tax collectors? Man, they found it easy to come to Christ. Didn't they? Who struggled? The church. What? 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 what me like that? I don't know if you're here this morning. I don't, I don't know if, if you are. See me afterwards, but... I think I might have been in Miami still, and someone said, hey, huh, what do you got to dress like to come to your church? And I said, jeans to suits. I don't care. But those stained by the filthiness of the Spirit, such as the scribes and the Pharisees, found it pretty hard to come to Jesus. They walked into their, in their spiritual knowledge. Our pride, like now, you have to be dealing with it now. You hear a message like this. Our legalism, self-focus, self-righteousness. 
the bitterness that we might hide. Some of you are sitting over there because someone's sitting over there. <clears throat> that's just what people, that's what we are. It's what we do without the Spirit of God moving upon us and keeping us clean. If we separate ourselves from worldly thinking and acting, we are promised a closer relationship with God. We're promised that. Oh my gosh. I, I, I mean, when I die, I'm going to heaven and I'll have the relationship. So don't get this wrong. I sure would like to have something that now too though. On this side. On this side. When I'm walking by faith and can't see it. When I go like this, and say, oh my gosh, I could have had that this time. I could have had it then. So you line up the best you can. There is nobody perfect, but you line up the best you can with the word of God. You let God nail you to the wall or something, whatever you need. You just, it's kind of like a self-cleansing for, for intimacy with God. I mean, sometimes you ladies, most of the time you clean your ovens, you know, you do this, you do that, whatever it takes, and you spilled that and just burnt. And but every once in a while, you lock that oven down, and you turn that intense heat on, right? Things that you missed or didn't see, they end up a little powder, roasted from the heat of that deep cleansing. That's what God wants. You're not going to hear that on TV. You just won't. Now, as you stand, do not miss sight of this word. I'm going to give you the scripture. Um, band. I couldn't think what they're called. Bring, bring the singers in the band. The rest of you, please stand as we wind this down and I don't know where you're at with all this. I know it was out there, and I just sort of watched one in Miami and watched a couple here at home. <clears throat> and it's so sad. So sad. And after watching it, which I'll tell you in a minute, again, hearing Raven Hill in my head saying the greatest tragedy today is a sick church in a dying world. You're the antidote. You're the answer. You are. Watching these specials on the Hillsong Exposed. My heart breaks for that. All those people. You hear them talking afterwards. I lost my faith. I'm never going back. I couldn't believe it. They're just like the world. I'm going, no, we're not. No, we're not. No, we're not. Thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands. Mixed. Moved to buy it in. Out went to solid doctrine. That's one of a cabillion you can name, right? Can we do it right? Could we just walk the line with God? Could we give it our best shot? while there's still time.
while there's still hope. So the last verse before we pray and invite you to this altar to have God examine your house. For the Lord God walketh in the midst of the camp. This is not all New Hope camp. Good better here. Walk through us, God. Walk. Spirit of God, come and walk. Every heart, every corner, every alley, every corner of our heart. For the Lord thy God walketh in the midst of thy camp to deliver thee. Don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. And to give up thy enemies before thee. Therefore, because of this, shall thy camp be holy. That he see no unclean thing in thee and turn away from thee. So God walks through your camp. And he says, oh, you just, no, you can't, you can't have this. Our job is, yes, Lord, yes. And you shovel it up, throw it out, and then you clean it. If you don't, God says, God, not pastor, don't come looking for a list. God nails you at something, and you say, I don't, I don't think that's sin. I don't. Then God's going to back away. You're telling God, no. This is what you're doing. And that's where the majority of the American churches are today. So we've lost our voice, we've lost our power, and we've lost the strength of the word because we're tempting to do it our way. So open the altars. <clears throat> and if we struck a chord, if you're like, that's true, then you, just you, come to this and say, Lord, here I am, I'm bringing my house. Lord, I want it cleansed, I want it swept. I want you to tell me what needs to stop, needs to go. Give me the strength to do it, to conquer it, clean it up and throw it out. That's our start.